Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi, everyone. Today, we present to you episode 70, which is our Ask Andrew Anything episode. We love these, don't we, boss? We do this every, what, 10 episodes? Exactly, exactly. A lot of fun. Yes, and I perhaps love these more because I do try to find questions that will stump you. Ah. Sort of devious, I suppose. But before we begin today, I thought I'd let you know where these questions came from this time. They actually came from our Facebook party that we had. Last Uh night. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So we started doing Facebook parties just a couple of years ago, every fall and every spring. So look for our Facebook page in October or April. That's when we shoot for having those. And it's so wonderful to not only have you there, Andrew, answering so many questions as much as we're able. The fingers are flying, are they not? Oh, it's chaos. But it's also great to have so many of our team there. Last night we had... IEW authors, online instructors, forum moderators, and some from our 911 and customer service teams. So 911, of course, that doesn't mean that we have an emergency line for health issues. We have 911 emergency team for heart issues, <laughs> homeschooling parents. At oh, and hard time. question issues. Hard question yes. issues, exactly, yep. exactly. So if you're ready, I am I've ready. Got several that came from our Facebook, and we'll link to that Facebook page so that you can see perhaps the questions and maybe how other people answered them. Okay. And we'll see how you do. (laughs) So here's Carrie Sue. I have four children. My oldest is 12, and writing has been a struggle, so I've never taught it. I know this story. I think this was my story. Mm -hmm. Now he has improved and is about the same grade level and is reading and writing as my 10-year-old. Where would I begin to teach writing? And could my eight-year-old, who is an advanced reader, join them too? The answer is absolutely. I like to teach mixed age group classes. I prefer that at least three years difference between the oldest and the youngest, sometimes four or five. It makes a better teaching environment. And if, if they're all approximately reading the same level, then that's perfect. Where do you start? The answer is always the same. And a lot of people had this question last night. Right. We needed a paste-in <laughs> automatic. You start with yourself. Mm. What we do here is we teach the parents the system of structure and style. They learn that system, and then once they've learned it, there's some options. One option is just design assignments for your students. That's what we taught you to do. And the upside of that, of course, is you can choose source texts and subject matter that is of high interest to those particular children or that is connected with the content areas in history or science or religion or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the upside. Also, it doesn't cost anything more because you're designing your own lesson plans. The downside is you have to do that. Right. And sometimes parents, busy, of course, like we all are, need a little bit of help to get started. And so then we have either the student writing intensive video 
or the theme-based writing lessons, and that's an option. The upside of the student writing intensive, of course, is there's very little prep work to do, just plug and play. You know, stick in the disc, turn it on, I teach the lesson, turn it off, the kids do the assignment, then there's a few more just like that. So that requires probably the least planning or prep time for the parent. The downside is the content's kind of random. It's whatever we thought might be interesting. Mm -hmm. The theme-based writing lessons, of course, require a little more parental planning and involvement because you have to teach that. Most of them come with a student book and then a teacher book. And the upside is that it's all ready to go. You don't have to figure out what to do Monday morning. And they're thematically connected with the history or the science or whatever. We have a whole variety of those things. Mm -hmm. You can choose, say, if you're studying a particular period of history, ancient history, well, we have an ancient history theme-based lesson. You can integrate that. These theme-based books, the ancient history-based writing lessons, that's not an ancient history. No, no, it's not trying to be a history curriculum. It's a writing course, but it's based on themes and ideas and, and source texts mm-hmm. that are connected with that that period of history. Right, and I don't think we can say that often enough. Right, no, we're not a history publisher. Mm-hmm. We never, we hope never to be one. <laughs> right. <laughs> the downside is you do pay for that. It's not as much as the student intensive videos, but mm-hmm. it is. So you learn the system first, you understand it fully, and then you have a few options. And we label our stuff A, B, and C, a is approximately grade three to five reading level, but we've had a lot of times older kids who would join in that. It's, mm-hmm. There's there's nothing condescending or, or babyish about right. it at all. The level B is approximately grade six to eight reading level, and the level C approximately high school. So in this person's specific situation, sounds like maybe the level A would be an okay place to start. You're better to go a little too slow Right. Than to go too fast and overwhelm a student. And really, you don't gain or lose anything by choosing A or B in terms of the syllabus. Every, every course starts at the beginning and presumes no previous knowledge or experience. Mm-hmm. So I like to say, you know, the level A kind of starts here with no previous knowledge and goes yay far. The level B starts there, same thing, same with no previous knowledge or experience, and goes a little further, and then, of course, the level C. And then the teacher course is the whole enchilada. So that's the foundation. So the answer to Carrie Sue is start with yourself, understand the program, then make that decision, and you will have good success. Great. Ashley asks, do you recommend the use of a thesaurus, and at what age? Well, it's interesting because I haven't personally touched a paper book thesaurus for quite a long time. And most of the children that I know don't either. Mm -hmm. In a way, the electronic thesaurus that is built into iPhones and iPads and tablets and things is easier to use. It's quicker and you don't have to thumb through the book and... So yes, I do, and the answer to what age would be whatever age the student is able to do that. I don't think there's a preset, uh-oh, now you're eight and a half, time to <laughs> do this. You know, some kids could be way younger, some could be way older. What I do want to always mention in the context of thesaurus, two things. One, you do have to coach kids. Don't use a word you don't know. Right. Because they'll look and they'll look up eat, And then they'll get a word like erode, 
and they'll put that in place of eat in their paper, and then you have whooping cranes eroding you know, small fish, snakes, and the eggs of other birds. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. So you have to make it very clear that all synonyms are not equal and identical in their meaning. You, they have nuances. They have extensions. And you have to coach kids. Don't use a word unless you really understand it. Otherwise, you can sound worse than just using the plain little word that you had. Right. The second thing is we have, of course, our product, one of our best and most useful products we've had for more than a decade now, and that is a word right now, mm-hmm. which I think is the the best of all uh, thesaurus options, particularly for kids working with our syllabus right. of dress-up techniques, because they're looking for L-Y adverbs, they're looking for strong verbs, they're looking for quality adjectives to substitute in for weak, lame, lousy ones. And so the word right now is organized with parts of speech. It's organized by character quality. And so it's very, very useful. And we do have it on paper. It's a beautiful four-color book. And then we also have it as our paid app. So we have IEW Writing Tools. You can get it on the Apple or the Android platform. Mm -hmm. And that's a free one. And then if you pay for the upgrade, then you get that whole book, a word right now, right there on your tablet or your iPhone or whatever. So a lot of great options for kids today. Right, exactly. Good. So I'm thinking about this question, and I like this question because it piggybacks on this one. This is about vocabulary and how to develop vocabulary. This is from Leslie. I love all your products. Thank you, Leslie. (laughs) My son, who I believe is 12, is needing a vocabulary program. What do you suggest? Well, I think one of the answers that was typed in, I think I saw that one or a similar one, was to study the Greek and Latin word roots. I have heard, I haven't actually counted to make sure, (laughs) but I have heard that over 60% of English words of three syllables or more Mm. are derived from the Latin. Mm. That's just the Latin and then the Greek, of course, on top of that. So I would prefer, in terms of a vocabulary curriculum, a one that is based on Greek and Latin word roots, and then, of course, suffixes and prefixes and all that. Mm-hmm. I do find, however, that the workbook approach isn't quite as effective because kids can kind of fill in the blanks, turn the page, and it's like going in one side, coming out the other. Right. So how to get more lasting vocabulary One of the things people love about the history-based writing lessons is Lori Verstegen, the author, has put in vocabulary cards and a vocabulary challenge and added that to the dress-up checklist so that the kids are each week, each assignment, I won't say each week, but each assignment, having to add in one of those learned vocabulary words. And so that moves the word from the passive, i.e., I recognize it, I know what it means, I think, to the active, I can write it, I can speak it, I can use it. And that's the real goal, Mm -hmm. is to move the words from the passive to the active. And I'm not sure workbooks do that quite so well, whereas if you can incorporate those words in writing assignments, in speaking, public speaking activities, and and really, the bottom line is, is this, what are your habits? You know, what is the child's habit? If a child is reading and sees a word he or she doesn't know and just kind of skips it, well, that's a habit that becomes ingrained into the teenage and adult years. Right. 
Whereas if you engender in the student the idea that, oh, there's a word you don't know, well, stop right now. Find out what it means. Go read that sentence again. Okay, now that makes sense. Now I improve my comprehension and understanding. That's the habit we want to engender. So, you know, how to do that maybe is another question. We don't have yet a Greek and Latin word roots vocabulary program that we endorse. Not yet. We are hoping to do that at some point. (laughs) (laughs) But I would start there. And then, of course, honestly, if you really want to understand the language at a deep level, then you study the language itself, Latin. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to understand English grammar, you study Latin, and then you're able to see kind of X-ray vision into both the meaning of words as well as the structure of language. It did occur to me, I think actually earlier this morning, that we should probably do a podcast on why learning Latin is helpful to English, understanding English. Think you could handle that one? Well, the challenge would be to keep it under an hour. <laughs> right. There's so much to talk about. So much to yeah. talk about. Okay, I have another question from Claire. She has a 12-year-old son who insists he be allowed to type his writing assignments. I'm a big fan of handwriting as it seems to be a lost art. What do you think? Well, our basic position and how we coach parents and teachers of children that age is that the first draft, so to speak, should be on paper for as long as you can mm-hmm. require that. Twelve's kind of right on the edge. Twelve's kind of right on the edge. But I think there are several advantages to writing on paper. Mm-hmm. We did the podcast earlier on mm-hmm. pen and paper and the research mm-hmm. about how it activates different parts of the brain and perhaps stimulates creativity as opposed to typing uses a different part of the brain. Mm-hmm. I would guess that if he's a 12-year-old boy, he's typically trying to look at the most efficient way <laughs> to get this done and be done with it so mm-hmm. he can go outside and make forts, which is the real purpose of life. So he he's demanding to type it so that he can make the small changes mm-hmm. so that he can get the finished version as quickly as possible. Right. And you can't really fault him for that. I mean, it is a kind of a form of efficiency that boys tend to gravitate toward. What I might do in this case, if the mom really wants him to develop good handwriting, is is make a deal and say, yeah, you can type your writing paper, but I want you to copy, say, a hundred words a day from, you know, whatever you want. It could be good literature, poetry, scripture, anything, and just copy a hundred words so that you don't lose Mm -hmm. or fail to acquire the ability of writing on paper Mm -hmm. and so then you know make a deal write your paper or copy 100 words your choice i don't know what the boy would choose but you would accomplish both things there so it is a case where a lot of especially in the homeschool world you start letting a child type everything at 10 or 11, 12 years old, and then they spend the next six, eight years typing everything, and they never write anything on paper. Mm-hmm. Well, they're kind of at a disadvantage going mm-hmm. into you know, the real world of college or work and, and being almost handicapped and having never developed that basic human faculty of writing on paper. So. Yeah. I think you know she she probably want to negotiate, and I would mention you know with a twelve year old boy you you're not going to convince him to do you know copy work like that because it's good for him. You're going to have to set up some kind of 
you know, system where he gets points and points he can earn some benefit, some kind mm-hmm. of economic system to have an external motivation because he's not going to say, oh, yes, I see the wisdom. I should spend 20 minutes a day practicing beautiful handwriting so that, you know, 10 years from now I'll be blessed. No, it doesn't work that way. This could be an exceptional 12-year-old boy. It could be. It could be. It could be. Right. (laughs) So Courtney has a question somewhat related. She says, how long is it okay to scribe for them? I've been following Jill's advice on scribing for them for as long as needed, but sometimes it seems as though they will never learn to do it themselves. I'm doing U.S. history-based writing lessons with my 13, almost 14-year-old dyslexic daughter, along with my 12-year-old. Both of them need quite a bit of hand-holding. Mm-hmm. Well, the basic idea from the Four Deadly Errors is don't withhold help. If that's what they need to get it done then do it. Mm-hmm. But you do want to look at maybe some some weaning steps. One thing I have suggested and heard several parents try my suggestion to good end is to take turns. So you can write one sentence for the student mm-hmm. and then give the student the pen mm-hmm. and have them write the next sentence. And if they can't think of it, you could dictate that and then give the pen back, and you can write it, and you could trade the pen back and forth. That way they can do both parts, thinking of a sentence and then also writing a sentence that they hear. And I would think that would accomplish the goal of moving from completely scribing to a point where the student at some point will say, okay, I got it, I can do this on my own. Right, right. But not to push that or expect that it's going to happen on your schedule. Right, because we don't want these students to be frustrated. Yeah. Okay, so Lisa asks, on average, and I already know what you're going to say, but and so does she. So listen to her question. On average, and I know every child is different, <laughs> how long would you expect it to take a fifth grader? <laughs> you love these questions, I know it to do a keyword outline and write their own rough draft from their keyword outline. This is our first year with TWSS, and it's taking a very long time, very long. Do you ever have students that try and write their rough draft from scratch because they can't remember what the keyword outline means? What's the best thing to do in this case? Well, certainly writing takes time. There's no question about that. And one of the things that we discover when we do a a teaching, writing, structure, and style Mm -hmm. course for parents is how they discover how long this takes. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really does take time. And those are adults, most of whom have college-level education. And wow, this is not nearly as easy as it looks when you just talk about it. Right. So empathy is critical here. And I would encourage Lisa to continue to do the practicum exercises in the TWSS course. So she herself should be doing the practicum exercises. If she herself is not doing those practicum exercises, she's missing out uh, on really the core of what we do with teacher training. And, And if she does those, she will be better able, much better able to coach and help the students. And in coaching and helping the students better and more, the time it's taking them will gradually lesson. 
and hopefully I've just this just occurred to me I'm, I'm hoping that Lisa you are not teaching the TWSS to your student that's for you I'm hoping that you're developing your own lessons based on what you're learning from, from the TWSS. Or maybe she's using one of the theme-based books or something like that. True. I gathered from one thing she said that maybe she's the students aren't remembering the content from the keyword outline right. if they're not taking the time to tell it back. So remembering that is kind of a fundamental principle. You read the source text and talk about it enough so you understand it. Be sure and define any unfamiliar words or terms. If it's technical, discuss it so that the student understands that. That could take two or three reading throughs for right. some some cases, right? Right. Then make the keyword outline and immediately try to tell back the content from the keyword outline. Now, you can do that a couple times as well. Just because you did it once doesn't mean there might not be benefit in doing it again and things become more familiar, more well understood. And then once you have that strong understanding, writing it out should be easier. Right, because they've actually rehearsed it verbally. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They've heard themselves reconstruct the idea. And really, writing is just hearing yourself talk to yourself right. and remembering what you said to yourself long <laughs> enough that you can commit it to paper. Yeah, if they're having a hard time now, imagine what it's going to be like when they get older. Huh? <laughs> so those would be you know, bits of advice is uh, be sure, if you're teaching this, be sure you are in the process of learning the next steps and wrestling with it a little bit yourself. It's very hard to teach something that you haven't done personally right. at your own level of challenge. Right. Yeah. Okay. This one, I was eager to see how you would respond to this last night. And so I'm going to ask it here. All right. Brandy asks, is there any creative writing course with IEW? <laughs> I think my my initial reaction was, <laughs> what do you mean by creative writing? Which is a really a great question. And I never got back to it because it was just chaos. I mean, the <laughs> Facebook party, it's like... Uh, navigating the streets of a city you've never been to before and trying to remember where you were so you can get back there and say something to someone while you're having to figure out how to get to the other side of the city to continue one the other conversation. So, right. So, Brandy, this is why we're asking this here just for you. <laughs> and I hope you hear it. But, you know, what is creative writing to you? What does that mean? There's so many definitions. And one of the things that some listeners may know, we actually changed the name of Unit 7 from creative writing to inventive writing. Right. And we did that for a few reasons. One is creative writing carries a lot of kind of baggage, you mm -hmm. know. In fact, I sometimes will tell the story, the only C that I ever got in my whole academic life, except for PE, and that doesn't count, <laughs> was in creative writing in college. And how do you get a C in creative writing? You know. What does the teacher even want you to do? That's hard to figure out. But so, you know, what do we do? I don't know, stream of consciousness, stories, poems. Uh, I wrote poems that rhymed. She hated them. I wrote fairy tales. She hated them. So I didn't know what you wanted. Uh, and I should have dropped the class. But of course, when you're a freshman in college, you don't know you can drop classes. You think you're still in <laughs> high school and stuck there. But the idea of creativity, that is an interesting word to contemplate because if you go, interesting, uh, back to the roots. Mm -hmm. When we were talking about understanding the roots of the word to understand the meaning of the word a little better, 
creative and create, creativity, those all come from creo, which is the Latin verb for to create. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, ex nihilo, from nothing. And uh, that's the meaning of that word. Whereas inventive writing, which is the term that applies to the canons of rhetoric, and we've talked about that on other podcasts, Mm -hmm. invention isn't producing something from nothing, it's finding something you've got, Mm -hmm. right? Invenio is the Latin verb to find or to discover something that's already there, also connected with the word inventory. Mm. So creative writing, while it could be thought by some people to be story or fiction, uh, poetry, plays, you know, whatever genre, I would make this distinction. There's two basic categories, source-based and then mind-based, brain-based. So either the information that you're putting on paper is coming from an external source. You're reporting it. Again, the Latin, very interesting. Port means to carry. Right. Report. You're, you're carrying it from where it was to here. You're moving that information for the convenience of someone or to learn it better or whatever. So you report. Whereas mind-based or brain-based, you're trying to find something you know something about and put that on paper. It could be an experience, right? So you could do creative writing about when you went to the beach. Mm-hmm. It could also be fantastical. You could do creative writing about a fantasy world that you try and imagine and put together. So we do both. Yes. We do both. And, and in fact, if you look at our units, you know, one and two is kind of, you know, right in the middle. It's basically dictated content, but you can elaborate on Aesop Fable or whatever. And then unit three, you take the story, put it into the brain, pull it out of the brain, pull it out of the mind. That's creative writing, and you can embellish it along the way. Mm-hmm. But you're not alone. You're not make up something that nobody ever thought of before kind right. of problem. Unit four, six, four and six are basically report. You get facts from one place, you move them into your paper, Try and you be... practice trying to do that without copying them exactly the way they were. And try not to be too creative with your facts. And try not to be too <laughs> creative with facts. Then in Unit 5, writing from pictures, that's pretty much all creativity. I mean, there's no source text, so mm-hmm. you got to look at that picture and ask a bunch of questions and come up with a bunch of ideas and try to describe that picture and the history and the behind the scenes and the invisible stuff and what's going on in the mind or emotions of whoever's in that picture. So, you know, that is very much so. And then unit seven, of course, is our inventive writing. What we don't include, and perhaps, you know, we will someday in the future, is a unit on poetry Mm -hmm. composition. We do recommend, of course, number one, if you want children to learn to love poetry, memorize. And so we have our, our... linguistic development through poetry memorization. So memorize a lot of poetry, you'll be a better poet. And then we do have a third party from Logos School Press is the grammar of poetry, so you can study that. I think those two are very good preparations for, okay, let's now write poetry. So we don't have that quite yet per se, right? but that would be one thing. And then, of course, I do talk about author imitation. That would be a creative writing idea. We talk about cross-genre. So take a story and write it into a script. Take a story and write it into a poem. Take a poem and write it into prose and go back and forth between those. 
So some variations in our units. So the straight units may not address that, but certainly advanced techniques. Sure. Variations. Yeah. And the I think in the new TWSS, we give some very good examples yes. of how to start doing that in unit three and then in unit seven. Right. Okay. I have one last question, but I do have a request for our listeners. I've never asked this before. I would like to ask you to please go to iTunes and rate and review our podcast. This is just actually so other people can help find us. So we've got some great reviews on there. Well, Julie, you only want people to do that if they're going to give it a positive review. Well, you know what? Honestly, if you have something great to say, yes, say it to everyone. <laughs> if you have some criticism, and we have received some helpful yep. criticism, send it in. Send it in to us at podcast at IEW.com. So complaints, podcast, that's one request. Praises and reviews, go over to iTunes, give us a rating. I won't ask for that too often, but I think this is a great time. Well, you're the marketing director. You're supposed to do that. I guess so. I guess so. (laughs) Okay, so here's the last question. It's from Kristen, not our Kristen here at IEW, but one of our listeners and readers. Our freshman son has some vision issues which which delayed his reading and impacted his spelling and writing. We have some of your products, TWSS, Fix-It, and some of the themed writing programs. Am I right in thinking slow and steady wins the race? Or is there something specific I should be doing to help his written communication become more fluid, fluent, easier? Well, she is right. Absolutely. Slow and steady wins the Mm -hmm. race. And you've heard me speak many times about the problem Mm -hmm. of being 13 or 14. (laughs) That, you know, it's an awkward time in life. Kids look awkward, they speak awkwardly, they feel awkward, they feel awkward about feeling awkward. And you can't change that. There's no magic wand, stop being awkward, (laughs) right? It's just time. And it just takes time. And some kids grow out of it sooner and more smoothly than others. Others persist in awkwardness longer. But one of the things about students that age is we try to think of them as adults. They yes. try to convince us that they are adults yes. and deserve all the privileges there too. And so I think you just have to kind of look at a freshman in high school and say, hey, it's all still process. Are we making progress? Is this getting better? Don't worry about trying to compare that with the final product you hope to have four years from now. And odds are, I would say, you know, a high 90% of the time, the kids grow out, and they themselves, you know, I've seen this phenomenon, they'll read something they wrote even six months before and say, ooh, yuck, that's horrible, you know, and they'll write something, and then six months later, they'll read something they wrote and say, that's childish and stupid, and then they'll keep going on, and and they grow so fast at that time that they themselves see what once was good is now awkward. Right. So they have that, they can get that perspective. We just have to maintain that perspective over the long haul. Right, over the long haul. And I think of your, often you admonish us to trust the system. Trust the system. And for this particular question, because of the visual issues mm-hmm. that were mentioned, I would again stress the value of memorized language. Mm-hmm. So memorizing poetry is great, even for high school students. Memorizing excerpts from famous speeches, building up a repertoire of memorized language will will build that language database 
And so then the vocabulary, the syntax, some of the literary devices, the artistry of the great language will start to come out in the written and spoken communication of students. So particularly for students who aren't going to be reading a lot on their own and haven't growing up, that memorized language and, of course, listening to audiobooks whenever possible, uh, those are going to be the keys, I think, as well. Right. Okay, well, our timekeeper is telling us time's up, so we better bring this one to a close. Andrew, thank you again for answering all these questions. Well, at least you didn't ask me something like, how many cow's flatulence does it take to send a rocket to the moon or something like that? Yeah, that would be, we'll we'll link to that, the answer to that in our episode we did before. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.